please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Luke's Gospel tells us this one story of Jesus as a boy. You heard it this morning. He is 12. His family goes to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. The festival ends, and Mary and Joseph leave Jerusalem to return home. At some point, they realize Jesus isn't with them. They can't find him anywhere in all the group traveling together, so they go back to Jerusalem looking for Jesus, and they find him in the temple. Here's how the story describes Jesus in the temple. He is sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Different understandings of who Jesus was or is and what it means to be Christian are playing out in the United States today in ways that can be extremely polarized. If you read articles or blog posts online, you've probably discovered that the comments section for these things can be a particularly unpleasant way to see how polarized different understandings of Christianity are. The comments flung back and forth can be pretty mean-spirited. At worst, we find a couple of shallow caricatures— There is the stereotype of the conservative Christian who accepts the messages of his religion without using his brain, who doesn't have any room for science, and is arrogant and close-minded in denying the value of anyone else's perspective or beliefs. Then there's the stereotype of the liberal Christian who has made a mockery of the true faith, who portrays Jesus as a communist who stands for liberal causes rather than representing God. Those are just a couple of sketches that come from comments I read online this week responding to a recent national public radio piece. I don't like these caricatures or stereotypes at all, and I don't buy into them. But hearing or reading people use such stereotypes reinforces my sense that it is important for us to talk about our understandings of Jesus and the Christian faith. Because if we aren't able to say what we believe, there are plenty of people who are ready and willing to fill in the blanks for us. And I'm not interested in having someone else try to describe my faith based on whatever assumptions they might make about religious people or about Christians. Because their assumptions might be wrong or ill-informed or might just not be a fit for my understanding. It is important for us to talk about our understandings of Jesus and the Christian faith. It is important that we be able to say clearly what we believe about Jesus and also what we don't believe. Marcus Borg wrote a book a couple of decades ago now called Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time, and I know there are many of you who have read it. The title refers to his experience of being raised in the church. So in one way, he knew Jesus his whole life. But as he travels through the decades of his life, he finds that the Jesus he learned about as a child in Sunday school doesn't satisfy the questions he has as an adult. 
So he meets Jesus again as an adult. And it feels to Marcus Borg as if in some sense he is meeting Jesus for the first time. The Jesus he meets as an adult is so different from what he understood or believed as a child. I hope that in a church like ours, we teach our kids about Jesus in a way that will not create this dissonance for them as they reach adulthood and, and even adolescence. But every person goes through developmental phases as they grow up and as they grow older. And these stages are not only about cognitive understanding, but are also about emotional and spiritual development. So anyone is likely to continue to grow and evolve in their understanding of Jesus and God over the course of their life. Some of us have stories like Marcus Borg's story, where we find our childhood faith in conflict with what we believe and understand as an adult. But some of us may not have that conflict. We may simply be on a lifelong journey where faith and understanding grow and evolve. Whether one of these pictures fits you, or if you're somewhere in between, I encourage you to come along in this season of worship when we do try to meet Jesus again. For five weeks now, starting today, we will be trying to see Jesus with fresh eyes and to clarify our own understandings. The story about Jesus at age 12 goes on to say, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years. Wisdom is actually a central piece of who Jesus was. Jesus possessed a certain wisdom, and out of that wisdom, he taught the people who chose to listen to him. Jesus spoke in a couple of particular ways. One was the sayings Jesus would come up with. Things like, No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. I think actually looking at Jesus' sayings, these most intriguing of his teachings, is a great response to anyone who thinks that religious people don't use their brains. Jesus really invites engagement from the listener with his sayings, whether in his day or now. What does it mean for something or someone to be master in my life? What would my life look like if God were my master? What would it look like if wealth were my master? How will I know the difference? What can I do to end up with the right master? Jesus' sayings almost require us to think and to engage. Here's another one. He said, Each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What is the tree a metaphor for? And what does the fruit symbolize? Does it matter that Jesus used thorns and brambles in contrast with the fruit-bearing plants, or is that just coincidence? Would the saying have the same meaning if Jesus had said that figs are not gathered from grapevines? In addition to his pithy sayings, Jesus told a kind of story called a parable. When I study the parables, I always see something I haven't seen before. 
And I'm not just talking about what I see in the parable. When I study Jesus' parables, I see things in life differently. I see things I haven't seen before. And when my faith expands my vision to be broader and wider and larger than what I could see on my own, I experience faith as a gift and a blessing. Jesus, the teacher, does this for me. And again, you can't really engage Jesus' parables without some rigorous thinking, which defies the stereotype that religious people don't think or question. Jesus tells a parable about a good Samaritan, where the person who is looked down on as a despised outsider turns out to not only be the hero of the story, but also turns out to provide the answer to the question of who God considers our neighbor when God's greatest commandment is to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. And this parable about the Good Samaritan makes me ask, who is an insider or an outsider in my world today? And what does God think of how we draw those lines? Jesus tells a parable of laborers in a vineyard, of agricultural workers who are picked up in shifts so that different groups of workers end up putting in very different number of hours. But at the end of the day, each worker is paid the same no matter how many hours he worked. And this parable about the laborers in the vineyard makes me wonder, what is the most meaningful definition of fair? What does justice mean or look like? And Jesus prefaced the whole story by saying that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So what does that tell me about God's vision, God's will, God's reign? Jesus asks us to think in new and different ways, ways that open our minds and keep us continually growing. And part of what this means is that we are not done. Part of what this means is that Jesus invites us to grow to change, to be transformed. And when we look at Jesus taught and then also broaden our perspective to look at how he lived, we find that we are invited to be transformed by growing ever closer to God and to God's hopes for the world. This makes us change. Jesus was up against the conventional wisdom of his cultural and social and political context and in the face of that conventional wisdom, Jesus offered an alternative wisdom, and he still does. What am I talking about when I say that there's this conventional wisdom and then an alternative wisdom? Here's a quick illustration that comes from one of Mary Oliver's most familiar poems. The first lines say, You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Conventional wisdom says you have to be good. Mary Oliver's alternative wisdom says you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. A quick definition of conventional wisdom is that conventional wisdom supports the status quo. It includes things like social rules and ways to reinforce those rules, something as simple as my grandmother's Mabel, Mabel, if you're able, keep your elbows off the table. 
Conventional wisdom in Jesus' time and in our time reinforces a sense of merit, which plays out through a system of rewards and punishment. It creates hierarchies and barriers and conveys who measures up and who does not, who is in and who is out. In this way of looking at things, living according to conventional wisdom keeps us in bondage to the dominant culture. Remember that thing about not being able to serve two masters? Conventional wisdom can easily become a master as we try to fit in, to measure up, to attain success. And there are specifically Christian versions of conventional wisdom. A Christian version of conventional wisdom takes those dynamics I just mentioned and applies those hierarchies and barriers to those who have faith and those who don't. This is where we get an intolerant and arrogant Christian Christianity. But Jesus offers an alternative. The alternative Jesus offers is what he often labels the kingdom of God. Or in other words, God's reign. God's best vision for the created order. Studying Jesus' teachings shows us that God's vision for the created order often seems paradoxical to us. It surprises us, challenging our expectations or our assumptions. And God's reign or God's vision attacks the values of conventional wisdom. Jesus challenges his listeners' preoccupations with wealth. He even challenges, challenges his listeners' preoccupation with religiosity when religion is understood or practiced according to conventional wisdom. And Jesus challenges his listeners' preoccupations even with things that you and I might think are worthy values and commitments, like family. But Jesus doesn't just take away dearly held values and commitments. Jesus offers something else in their place. Jesus' alternative wisdom offers the promise and challenge of lives shaped by grace compassion, and abundant life. Jesus invites us to a path more and more centered in God and less and less ruled by the conventional wisdom of this world. In a world where you might feel like you are measured or valued according to your achievements, God's grace says that you are measured and valued only according to your core identity as a child of God. And no one can take that away from you, no matter what kind of success or failure your life might hold. As a church, I'm convinced that if we can live God-centered lives that reflect this grace and compassion and abundance that Jesus teaches, then we have so much to offer a hurting world. Unfortunately, this sermon barely scratches the surface in this one aspect of Jesus, seeing Jesus as a teacher of wisdom. So part of my hope is that this taste whets your appetite for more, maybe enough to turn your attention to rereading the Gospels or otherwise studying this Jesus. And seeing Jesus as a teacher of wisdom only scratches the surface of the full picture of who Jesus was and is, in the coming weeks, we'll round out that picture more fully. 
May each one of us here find a faith in Jesus that fits us now, at whatever our age and whatever our stage in life. And may we pursue the wisdom that Jesus Christ offers, that we might live lives transformed by faith. Amen.